Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The World in 10. This is your daily roundup of the biggest stories from around the world as seen through the eyes of the Times of London. I'm Steve Holden. And I'm Eleanor Shearwood. A big update today on TikTok, not on the app itself, but more a statement from the British government. We've also found out what it's really like to be in the German army. Not forgetting something very exciting happening in London this weekend too. Want to find out what? Stay with us for the next 10 minutes. For our top story, the app that seems to be everywhere right now. Now, if you're not sure who that was, it's probably because you don't have TikTok. Well, soon, government employees in the UK won't either. Here's Oliver Dowden. He's from the Cabinet, the top office of the British government. We are also going to ban the use of TikTok on government devices. We will do so with immediate effect. Mr Speaker, this is a precautionary move. This is going to affect around roughly 30,000 civil servants in the UK. And there was actually a really funny moment in the Times editorial meeting this morning when someone said with disdain, it's unbelievable that many of them use it. Yeah, but the government does use it. The Ministry of Defence uploaded a video this morning of a Challenger 2 tank. Now, why the concerns? You may know why. It's all because the app is Chinese-owned and there are allegations it gives users data to the Chinese government. So it's important to note that it's just on government-issued phones that this is banned. So government employees on their personal phones can still do what they want. We've had a response from TikTok. It says it's disappointed because it says it's based on fundamental misconceptions about the app and the company driven by what it calls wider geopolitics. Well, I don't know about wider geopolitics, but it's definitely driven by wider concerns. And that's probably because in the US and Canada, they've already banned it on official devices. As well, back here in Europe, at least seven governments have done so, as well as the European Commission and the European Parliament. Times Radio's chief political commentator, Lucy Fisher, has told us the decision will put a strain on the UK's relationship with China. Beijing already lashed out this week in response to the AUKUS submarines deal announced by the UK, US and Australia, which it warned was a dangerous road to go down. Rishi Sunak is trying to walk a tightrope. He's alive to the economic threat from China, but doesn't want to alienate Beijing, which after all is a superpower and is set to become the largest economy by 2030. There's a recognition on Whitehall that China's buy-in will be crucial to navigate global challenges like climate change. The decision on TikTok today, however, is likely to ramp up tensions further between the UK and China. For many of us, we'd assumed that the military in the country that we live in was up to scratch, uh, modern, forward-thinking, uh, full of the latest technology. Absolutely. But in Germany, that's not the case. There's been a damning verdict on its armed forces and its flaws have been completely laid bare in a new report. 
It's found there's shortages with kit, there's too much bureaucracy, the barracks are run down, morale is low, uh, the equipment is old-fashioned. Remember, this is one of Europe's biggest economies, and geographically, it is fairly close to the war in Ukraine. Oliver Moody, he's the Times correspondent in Berlin, he says the reports highlighted some pretty shocking revelations. Soldiers in, in tanks and other armoured vehicles say that when they want to communicate with each other, they don't trust the radios. They open the hatches and shout at the other vehicles. Or sometimes they just have to kind of clamber out of the turret and, and go over to talk to each other, which obviously in a combat situation would be completely unrealistic and even life-threatening. There's this as well. 66 accidents have been caused by a standard-issue parachute that cannot be steered at high speeds or when the wind changes. Really? Yeah, you'd maybe think, what's the point? And it's not just the equipment either. It's incidents with staff. Oliver explained something altogether more sinister. A right-wing extremist officer in the elite KSK Special Forces Unit, really the sort of creme de la creme of the German army, who had held a, uh, a party on the barracks in 2017 with neo-Nazi death metal, um, Hitler salutes. He still hasn't been disciplined. As you said, Steve, this report sounds really quite damning and the Chancellor Olaf Scholz has promised 100 billion euros to fix it. He wants to turn it into this capable and ultra-modern force that he says would be the most powerful conventional military in Europe. But the money and the modernisation just isn't coming through. This has all been laid out in a report by a woman called Ava Hergel, who is the Parliamentary Armed Forces Commissioner. She says it would take a minimum of 300 billion euro to modernise the German armed forces properly. And the process would last half a century, 50 years at the current speed. That's a lot of time and a lot of money. Yeah, and the wider question will probably be, how confident do Germany's allies feel if the conflict in Europe ever spread? We are going to talk about this man now. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel uh, gay. That is Gianni Infantino. He is the head of FIFA, which oversees all of world football. And that speech he made last year at the Qatar World Cup. Well, he has been re-elected unopposed as the president of FIFA after a meeting in Rwanda. It means that he's going to be looking after the next World Cup in Canada, Mexico and the United States. And he's recalled a story about his previous bid to be FIFA president. So what happened was all the African delegates wouldn't support him. But he said a visit to the memorial of the victims of the 1994 Rwanda genocide is what gave him the strength to carry on. I think some eyebrows were probably raised at what he said there. Definitely. Uh, Infantino, who is Swiss, has said the revenues at FIFA went up under his presidency and will go up even more with the expansion of FIFA and the tournaments. And he was elected unopposed, but the Norwegian delegation sat silent while he was being applauded. And he did make reference to some people who don't like him. All those who, um, who love me, then they know there are so many. And those who hate me, I know there are few. I love you all, of course, today especially. He's definitely a divisive figure, but he's also one that holds a lot of power and a lot of respect, so he could be in his position for a little while longer. 
I'm joined now by Susie Jagger, The Times Deputy Foreign Editor. What stories are you working on at the moment? Spain is proposing the world's first octopus farm. Given what we know about octopi being so clever, there's an uproar over how cruel this is. We now know that octopus can destroy lab tools and open a screw-top jam jar, which is more than I can do with my arthritis. And we're also doing a story on, um, there's a new exhibition in Paris focused entirely on Monet's elder brother, Leon. It was thought that the two of them had fallen out, but actually he financially supported his brother. And also there's some speculation, given that he was a colour chemist, that he helped with the pigmentation of the paintings themselves. So now we're going to talk about a piece in The Times which is about an iconic London landmark. It's not the Houses of Parliament, it's not St Paul's, it's not the Shard. Nope, it is Bougie's, the most famous London nightclub from the noughties. It was home to lots of royals and celebrities and loads of paparazzi outside. Now, we actually weren't there, but Katie Glass, who wrote the piece, was, and she told us what it was like. I think it was one of those places... Um, that sort of lent itself to pretty messy nights. So I was never sort of posh enough or cool enough or famous enough or whatever to actually get into Bougie, which was sort of most famous because you couldn't get in. But I got in because I was a showbiz journalist at the time. And I remember when I finally actually got inside, being sort of disappointed. (laughs) I remember it being a sort of like underground sweat box, sort of uh, leather bonquettes, a lot of posh boys and bankers, drinking very big bottles of champagne on a sort of crammed dance floor where it felt like everyone had gone to school together and I didn't (laughs) really belong. So the club was shut down in 2016 because there was a fight outside, but exciting news, it is back under the name Bee London. And people are clearly still just as excited about it as they were back in the noughties because the site had 40,000 hits within 24 hours. But if you want to see what it's like inside, you'll have to be a member because it's completely camera free. Now, you can argue with me on this, but I just don't know how popular these types of clubs still would be nowadays. And will it still be as popular without the young royals who so famously went there? Good point, but it opens this weekend, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. That's it for today's World in 10. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the journalism you heard on this podcast, you can take out a digital subscription to The Times of London. <laughs>